Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome. Episode 15. Today we are talking about Patrick Rothfuss's wonderful book, The Wise Man's Fear, chapters 26 through 33. And who are you? I'm Liz. I'm Chad. And we have a special guest here today. We do. Grace, do you want to say hello? Hello. This is my sister, Grace. Um, And we'll be talking to her and letting her introduce herself a little bit later um but for now let's we're going to talk about um well first off next week we're going to be talking about chapters 34 through 43 and um what, do you want to talk about our spoiler policy yeah the spoiler policy is very simple and it is that we will not spoil anything through chapter 33 of the wise man's fear liz has read these books uh several times grace has read the books i have not read the books so i am just now catching up to where we are so very straightforward Oh, that was the least awkward intro that we have ever done. <laughs> Grace, I think you're bringing the magic. Nervous. <laughs> All right, so so I'm going to give a quick kind of synopsis of what we talked about last time because I think it helps to kind of frame where we are in the narrative. Right. And then you'll will you give us a brief kind of synopsis of what we talk about in this section before we kind of break it down into chapters? Sure. Okay. All right, so last time we began with Quoth doing another stupid thing, and that was breaking into Ambrose's room. So he breaks into Ambrose's room with the intention of taking back Denna's ring. He manages to get himself caught, uh, flings himself out of a window, lands on his knees, and narrowly escapes getting caught. And then in the aftermath, you know, the following day, as he's going through the next couple of days, he gets all these strange symptoms. He gets chills. He gets hot flashes. He gets so hot that he has to jump into the river in the middle of springtime. And they're trying to figure out what's going on before they realize that it's somebody performing malfeasance against him. But then uh, he and Will and Sims are trying to figure out who it is. Is it is it Ambrose? That's the obvious choice. But they decide, no, that doesn't make any sense. Then it must be Devi. It's got to be Devi. But he doesn't think it's Devi. Who could it be? And so there's a lot of kind of hand-wringing and figuring out what's going on there. Uh, Quoth, in his fear, feels that he's got to spread his blood and his hair as far as he can. He runs into Ari. He and Ari have a really kind of a tense moment, but eventually they patch things up and Ari takes him to the clinks, which I thought was real interesting. And that's where she shows him how to hide his blood and hair in the bottles and send them kind of off in every direction all at one time. And then after that, they um, they continue trying to figure out what's going on with the malfeasance. Quoth decides that he, he needs something called a gram, and a gram is something that will allow him to basically stop the malfeasance. But, of course, Kilvin won't give him the information on how to create it. And then he attempts to get some information uh, or... or um, acquire yeah the information from a guy named Sleets who like Devi is somebody who was kicked out of the university he does manage to buy a crossbow off of him but this gentleman Sleets freaks out when he finds out that he's tied to Devi which should give us more reason to be afraid of Devi and that's kind of how everything wrapped up last week and then I went on a long rant about how 
Denna was the evil force behind everything. Yes, you had a slew of predictions last week, and I can't wait to hear what your thoughts are this week um, <laughs> while we talk about this section, which in my mind, I've titled this section The Caper, because that's what Quoth and the gang pull off. They they pull off the caper um, to recover the mommet that they know that Ambrose, or that they think that Ambrose has made of Quoth. They are able to make a gram. They work together as a team to do that. We see some great character development from some of the um, the secondary characters, um, especially the interactions that start to develop between um, Fella and Simmons. And um, we see uh, Debbie and Quoth fall out and sort of make up a little bit. Yeah. So that's kind of the summary of what we're going to talk about. Yeah, we forgot to do week. to do one really important thing. So one of the things we were going to do before we got into the summaries, but I don't I don't think it'll harm us to do it after the summaries, is we were going to talk a little bit more about Grace and introduce Grace and ask her some questions. Okay. Hello, podcast land. Um, so yeah, so I guess Nerdville started for me at um, a young age. I was like five when we started doing Star Trek. Hmm. And then it progressed into Harry Potter and obviously Buffy because everyone wants to be Buffy. Yeah, how old were you when the Harry Potter books came out? I was Harry Potter's age. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So I was like 10, 11 when they came out. So I kind of grew up with that. And, um, and then I went to college and it was... Subtly, but um, strongly said to me that that will not get you any friends if you ask them <laughs> who was your favorite captain on Star Trek and how it went in the crapper when the lady became the captain. You're going to get like the slow walk away. So I uh, kind of stopped a little bit and then, you know, still read and stuff. But it's it's been in the past couple of years, like late 20s, that it's I've kind of re-nerded myself and started watching like Doctor Who and... And so um, tell us about your experience with this book in particular. So I first read this book about a year ago on Liz's recommendation because we were on vacation and it was the back of the book that kind of reeled me in and it was the way that he described himself and he's like, oh, you may have heard of me and I was like, this guy's a badass and (laughs) totally had a huge crush on him like from the get. Um, So I read it really quickly the first time I had... Well, I read the first chunk really quickly, and then the Tarbian part really, I had to stop for like a month, and then I picked yeah, it that, up and that's finished rough. it. Yeah. yeah, it was a hard for me. And then I reread it a couple of times. Well, I read that, and then I read Wise Man's Fear, and then I reread it a couple of times. And this is my first time rereading Wise Man's Fear, actually. So I'm picking up a couple of things that I didn't pick up the first time, and it's, I'm trying to really slow myself down. But Gotcha. And we, we will have some... Sp- specific questions for you about specific characters. I think we all know who we're talking about. Yeah. We'll get we'll get into You're that. Just looking later. at you, Dana. <laughs> exactly, right? So we'll get it we'll get into that later cuz we we we've heard our opinions about it. We want to hear somebody else's opinions about it. She has the right opinion. Just hint. <laughs> yeah. She's always. A, <laughs> there you go. Gotcha. All right, so so we start here with chapter 26. And really, chapter 26 is a very easy to summarize. It's where Quoth goes to confront Devi and acts like a damn fool. Right. And so what we see in this chapter is Quoth, once again, trying to manipulate someone. And mm-hmm. I think it was last week we were talking about how all of Quoth's best, most successful relationships are with people that he doesn't try to manipulate. 
You know, his true friendships, the people he can really turn to for support are people where he's not trying to manipulate them. But with Debbie, he definitely goes in there with right away, not only trying to manipulate her, but then trying has a with a moment of her prepared, ready to try and force her, his will upon her, yeah. which is turns out to be a recipe for disaster. I, I got I got a lot of head shaking to do in this one. I don't <laughs> I guess I kind of had a different um, idea of it because I saw him coming in and not really believing that it was her that did it and really just wanting to test out and see and see if she would give it away because he didn't want to believe that he would that she would do that. Um, I mean, the moment of her was just like a bad idea. But I mean, she kind of overreacted. I had some very unkind feelings towards Debbie at this because she just like flipped it and... I mean, and then you kind of saw how this tiny person struck fear in all of the crazy thieves' heart. Yeah, it was interesting because all of our experiences with Debbie have been pretty benign. But then everybody he's talked to, you know, the end we end the last section with this guy Sleet, you know, being like Debbie, oh my God, get the hell out of here! I don't want anything to do with you if, if you have something to do with Debbie, and all these other things, demon Debbie that we've heard. So. You've, she's got this reputation, but any of of all the people who should know that a reputation doesn't necessarily mean anything, it should be quoth, right? But I do agree with you that I don't think he went, I think he went in there trying to find some way other than, he, he didn't He didn't go in there hoping that he was going to attempt to out, out overpower her with sympathy. That was not what he was hoping to do. But he just misread all the little signals, you know, and in his head he's like, I could see there was tension there and oh my God, like you can, there's a moment it was like, oh my God, it's her. And that's when he brings out the mom and all that. I wonder where he got the hair from though. Who knows? You want a hair? I can get your hair. <laughs> so Grace, would you say that for this chapter changed your perception of the character of Debbie? Um, um, it, it did and it didn't. I mean, you kind of this whole time are waiting to really see how badass she really is. And, and she pulled out, we, you know, we saw the pocket warmer too, which was new. So yeah. that kind of, like, you can see that not only is she, you know, dangerous and physically, but also magically as well. She has a lot of power behind her because she knows how to manipulate sympathy in a lot of different ways. So, yeah. And Quoth had said in a previous chapter that, a five-way binding was the most that he could do. He managed in the course of this to actually do a six-way binding, but it it didn't matter. Debbie was able to overpower him. So one thing that, uh, one more thing that I picked up on this chapter that I thought was interesting, and um, in my book, it's on page 212, the quote I'm about to bring up. But there, so Quoth goes in and Debbie is friendly on the outset and she wants to talk about a book that she has loaned Quoth. And Quoth doesn't really want to talk about the book, but he's trying to like make some conversation. He recites, uh, he, he, so he's talking about this book that Debbie has loaned him. And he says, well, his theories about perception as an active force are interesting, but I don't really agree with them, basically. And that really jumped out at me. The idea of perception as an active force. And once I noticed that, I started noticing it come up in the next several chapters that we read, the idea of the power of someone's perception, um, and how it can almost become an active force in their life. And I started to see how for, you know, for Quoth, his over reliance on his powers of perception 
is a major character flaw. And it's one that in these this section of chapters, he is forced to face almost every time. I, including you know? this chapter. And this, yes, this chapter, absolutely. So what he perceives, you know, as far as Debbie's actions, he jumps to completely the wrong conclusion. But his over-reliance on, you know, his ability to see the truth the, the same thing he's been struggling with as far as naming and in and in Elodin's class, if I can't see it, if I can't understand it, then it can't then it's got to be bullshit. You know, that's yeah. his his whole thing. So his need to understand and over intellectualize and to rely on that what he can see and understand, that's his big flaw. You know, he's forced to face kind of time and time again with um, the situations that arise in the future with Denna and um, a couple other times. So you're going to hear me keep saying that, like, oh, yeah, this is that character flaw. But I just love that little throwaway line that I've probably read, you know, every time I've read this book time and time again, but that it's not a throwaway line. It's it's really significant. So chapter 27 is where... Quoth goes back to Anchors to meet Will and Sims, and he explains what had happened with Debbie, and also they have another kind of brainstorming session on who the malfeasance person could be, and then they, you know, Quoth eventually realizes that he does believe it's Ambrose, and the piece of information that was missing last time that they couldn't quite get their head around is that Ambrose most likely doesn't realize whose blood it is. But then uh, Quoth explains to the boys that Fela has agreed to take the, uh, them into the archives to help them look for the schematics for a gram. And then they go and spend the next several days in the archives. So something I loved in this chapter was just a little glimpse at how, you know, how much Simmons, you know, who is mostly described as the most cheerful character, the kindest the nicest, but also the most bloodthirsty when it comes to Ambrose. And he is like really got an axe to grind against this guy. And so I, I just personally, well, we all know Simmons is my favorite character. He's, he's my fictional boyfriend. Hmm. Um, sorry, honey. It's, it's but fine. He's not my fictional husband. That is safe for Faramir always, Ooh. but really? Yes. Okay. I mean, well, who's yours? Um, Legolas Yellow. What? Every time. <laughs> what? Everyone knows that Legolas is like a Ken doll down there. Flaxen-haired beauty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we would have we would have beautiful blonde babies. I mean, you would absolutely. But I, Legolas, I'm telling you, it's Ken doll territory. He's like completely gender neutral. I will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. All right. Anyway. We just talked about elf penis. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> but that was, I mean, that was my favorite part of this chapter. Yeah. And I thought it was just so classic Ambrose, too, is that that's how they found out who it was, is that it was only when he went back into his rooms that both was really feeling the effects. And it's just like classic dick move that he just kind yeah. of goes back and doesn't even think this is a person. He just kind of pokes his mom at and sees, you know, just for funsies, you know. Yeah. Passing the time. What I still don't understand about it, and we've kind of bled into, um, we've kind of bled into chapter 28 and that's okay. Um, I'll go ahead and give the summary for it real quick because these two just kind of bleed right into each other. But 28 is really just kind of them continuing to look for the schematic. 
but in 28, Fela finds the book that it's written in, but it's written in uh, Eldvintic, but Sims knows some Eldvintic, and they're able to actually work it out. And so Quoth gets started on actually going and making the gram. Um, I feel like I cut, I feel like I cut you off, Grace, when you had. Um, I, I was just kind of talking about Ambrose as an asshole, and I feel like I could probably go on for that for like a while, but you know, <laughs> I'd be here for a while. He's a prick. He's a real grade A prick. That's yeah. for sure. You know, in preparation for this podcast, Grace texted me that she was trying to come up with a PG way to call Ambrose a fuckboy. But she was really glad that I told her that we have an explicit tag so she could say that if she wanted to. Do you want to? I, I do. No, he's a total fuckboy. Like from like <laughs> sentence two about Ambrose. I was like, oh, yeah, I feel like like I've dated him like four times before. Like I can just like springing off the page. Like, uh, yeah. There is one thing about that whole Ambrose thing in the blood that I still don't get. And I, it, it would it's one of these things that caused me to build this whole counter uh, conspiracy theory last week against Denna. I was convinced that Denna was behind the malfeasance and almost entirely because of this one thing that I still don't quite get. I don't know if either of you picked up on an explanation for this. I didn't, which is if Ambrose has this person's blood who broke into his room and he wants to know who it is, and we know that he knows how to douse for people to find them why hasn't he tried to do that so he can't douse for quoth because of what quoth and ori did in the clinks because there is there are samples of quoth's blood and hair circulating under the university but he could have done it beforehand and there was a significant chunk of time if maybe i'm wrong about this but i feel like there was at least 24 hours I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that Kvothe went right down to Or. I mean, because if you remember, he was running across the rooftops crazy and mostly naked. Oh, that's right. And so, covered in dried blood. And covered in dried blood. So he pretty much like like got stitched up and then ran for. That, okay. And All then right. did that right away. So it would have taken Ambrose time to go down there. And he may have started dowsing, but at that point he would have not not been able to do it that quickly gotcha okay well so then my whole rant last week was just because i simply failed to pick up on that fact and did i do a good job nodding you did not tell me <laughs> that i was a dumbass at no <laughs> at, i didn't know where you're going with that <laughs> at no point did you stop me and go no grace didn't hear it but chad did go on for a long time about a tinfoil hat theory where he thought denna must have swooped in and stolen the tiles before ambrose got them and she was behind the whole thing and i was just like so wrong but it was it was great i love when people get their tinfoil hat on and i had like uh, points and counterpoints oh my gosh he had so many notes you know, that was like, <laughs> it was like, you know, an eight part plan with multiple, you know, multiple subheadings and, <laughs> you know, and, and it all tied together so nicely and neatly in my head, except for this one very critical missing piece of information, which yep. is that right there. It was wrong. Sorry, hon. So, you know what it caused me to think? A for effort. I feel like a, like a real, real fuck boy. 
<laughs> that just that just means you don't know what a fuck boy is, no, babe. Exactly what, that, exactly what that means. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about chapter twenty-eight a little because there is a lot of good stuff in here. Um, so, like, Quoth is being attacked constantly, which means his ally is getting swole. Like, as good as he was before, he is. No, don't say that. Well, oh, so Grace is shaking her head. I'm like, was it not getting swole? But that just means older sister. Don't say that. <laughs> You're not allowed to use those words. I'm not. I need someone to keep me on task. I'll, I will do that. Don't say that. Yeah. Okay. Check. Look, it's in my notes. I know, it's I getting know. swole, yo. Swole, comma, yo. <laughs> Punctuation is important. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm a nerd. Um, okay, so, but anyway, it's getting it's getting uh, buff. Okay, so his LR is getting very strong. And... He <laughs> Just be clinical about it. He's getting very strong, which I think is, is uh, significant in that it was already very strong. Also, what I really like about this chapter is, like we talked about a little bit before, watching the relationships develop. And Quoth is sort of starting to build a little dream team, but not of people that he's trying to manipulate. Again, there are people that he is humbly asked for help and who are willing to help him. You know, um, Fella, because she um, obviously has a raging crush on him and he saved her life. And then obviously Will and Sim are his two um, two good friends. One scene that um, caught my eye was on, in my book, it's on page 224. And you can actually watch Fella give up on Quoth and realize that she, how solidly in the friend zone she is. So she comes in all triumphant with this book. And they've been working together for nine days. And her mind probably is like all these romantic scenarios of how Quoth is going to fall in love with her. And she holds the book over her head and she says, first, you have to promise me dinner. And he laughs and says... If this works, I'll buy everyone dinner. And she just goes, <sighs> fine. <laughs> like, and Quoth has no idea what is going on, you know, but you can just see that she is just, that's the point at which she goes, okay, this guy's not into me. All right. But then like a paragraph later is when she notices Sim. And I just love that whole section of prose you know, where, where he talks about like this spark that happens between them that probably she didn't even notice, but it's still down there like kindling. I'm just like, oh, he's her Faramir. Oh my gosh. Like she's given up on Aragorn because he was a jerk anyway. Didn't deserve. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Oh. Faramir, greater than sign, Aragorn. Uh, he was kind of a ding dong. He was like a total ding dong. Fight me right now. <laughs> she called Faramir a ding dong. Uh, Did and I'll do it again. He was a total ding dong. I'm just over here watching. <sighs> I'm sweating. I'm literally <laughs> sweating that you just said that. <sighs> okay. It's fine. It's fine. I still love you. <laughs> so Grace, what do you got for 28? So, and we saw the new language that I noticed too, the uh, Aturan yeah. language. That yeah. was cool. And it's just basically prose, which is how Fila starts falling in love with 
Sim is that he knew this dead language. So he basically just started spouting off poetry yeah. at her and she just kind of like goes gooey eyed. Um, so that was kind of cool. And also everyone kind of starts talking about Puppet who yeah, and like, good. who is this dude? Like just kind of came out of nowhere and everyone's like, oh yeah, Puppet, you know, like, you know, Puppet. Like, no, don't. So, I mean, we still don't know who he yeah. is and I guess kind of just waiting to see, but they never really fully explain who he is or what he does or what his function is, but everyone yeah. seems to know him. That's not in there for nothing. We'll hear that name again for sure. Okay. Huh? Chapter 29. All right. Chapter 29 is super short. Basically, what happens in chapter 29 is that Quoth goes back to Anchors and he realizes that his loot is nowhere to be found. Uh, I mean, I just thought it was interesting the way that they described his loot being stolen because it's just somewhere that we've all been. You like, look for something that's so important. You look for it, you look for it, and then you just sit and just feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. You sit on your bed, just like, well, I guess I'm never leaving ever again. Yeah. No, it was just, it was described in just such a perfect way that everyone relates to it. Yeah, agreed. I love the wordplay that, the way that Patrick Rothfuss describes that feeling, um, he says um, he felt like wet paper, like I could barely breathe, like someone had stolen the heart out of my chest. And I was just like, I know that feeling. I have felt like wet paper, like any second you're just going to dissolve or like the only thing holding you together is your misery like that. Wet- and I, it was just a perfect way to describe that feeling. Um, and I think that's just, for me, that's where Patrick Rothfuss really shines. His insight into human feelings and his ability to um, describe them. Agreed. He's a good writer. Agreed. Agreed. All right, so chapter 30? Chapter 30. Okay. It's called More Than Salt. So this is probably the chapter where the most stuff happens. Essentially what happens is we have a class with Elodin where Elodin once again attempts to explain to teach Quoth, and Quoth doesn't want to hear him. And then when Quoth leaves, uh, he ends up walking around Imre, and he finds Denna out crying in a courtyard, and they have a, just like a this super, super sweet moment. Denna actually shows Quoth that she has uh, purchased for him a gift. Well, let's talk about the class first. I personally feel that I would get an A plus in not being a stupid jackass. (laughs) I mean, that's just my feeling. I don't know, but I think it's very interesting how Elodin explains things and it's frustrating at the same time because you seek both. um, And this is where that, that defect we were talking about really just comes out like his need to be able to understand. And that is what is holding him back here. And as a reader, I just want to be like, like, Dude, just stop. Just like stop intellectualizing it. Well, it's his ego. It's his. That's exactly it. It's uh, well. The, one of the first paragraphs when he starts off talking about Elodin's class, it kind of was how I felt about Elodin's class. So it was interesting that he wrote both saying that he was hoping that all along this was just a big joke, yeah. and that all of a sudden <laughs> Elodin's just going to get it together and like pull out some you know magical prose. So it was just it was interesting because that's exactly how I felt this whole time. Like, oh, it's going to be a giant ruse. And so, what are, first thing? What are your opinions about Elodin overall to, to this point? I love Elodin. He's one of my favorite characters. He's like the serious black for me. So you would you would agree that the actor per, who should portray Elodin 
would be like Alan Tudyk. Would, they, would you agree? I actually have a character list. Oh, um, snap. And my Elodin is Bertie Carville. I, I'm not familiar with who that is. He played Jonathan Strange and oh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. You know what? That's also a really, really good one. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he's just so cool. And just there are some parts of him. Sometimes he just comes out and it's like, is he just putting on a show of being crazy or is he really crazy? And like those kind of characters are just always the most intriguing. You know, he starts off by saying, name something that can't be described you know or can't be explained and he goes around the room and of course everybody gets it but quoth quoth doesn't get it you know even when he supplies him with an example of music you know quoth quoth doesn't think about you know he doesn't think about like the more ephemeral qualities of music he doesn't think about you know when he was in the woods playing the sound of the leaves resting on the water like and how he could not explain how he came from scales and chords to that. He doesn't think about that. No, he just thinks about the scales and the chords. Because where an Elodin's involved, he he just shuts down and just be, kind of becomes a prick. You know, and so Elodin then decides to pull Thala up, who is still probably stinging from not being able to connect with Quoth like she's wanted to brings her up there and then proceeds to do this whole here are two young people in love look at them in nature see how the wild wildebeest you know playing this whole whole thing kind of narrating their feelings right and then he explains that in this scenario there's only a couple of things you can do you know and the first is to try to express it in words which will just you'll end up tripping over your tongue and you'll sound stupid and nothing will happen or two, you can just kind of go with it, experience it, spend time together, which is something that, you know, this is a process that, quote, just kind of observed happening. Like, he just kind of observed this non, this untangible thing you can't explain. He just saw it happen between Fela and Sims, but he still can't get his stupid head around it. So the third option, you see a girl, you feel the spark. You could do it close way, reach out, and just grab her by the bosoms. <laughs> just grab her chest right away. You're looking for certainty. Is yeah, this going to work or not? That's, 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 <laughs> yes, that's it. So so Kvothe demands certainty in all things. He wants the direct approach. Let's just grab her by the chest. The tits. simplest way is the best. And then he turns to him and says, Kvothe, I am trying to awaken your sweeping, sleeping mind. I am trying to coax understanding out of you. Quit grabbing at my tits. <laughs> and it's it's brilliant. It really is. It's one of like the my favorite exchanges of this whole series is when Elephants tells yeah. to quote to stop grabbing his tits. <laughs> yeah, I really felt like it should have been a chapter end because it was just so. It was so good. It was, but then it goes right into this interaction with Denna, and we know that all of this that we've been talking about translates into his relationship with her and he is you know the opposite of grabbing at her tits like she could rub them in his face and he would just be like oh i don't know she's kind of sending mixed signals you know i don't know what she really wants yeah and it was funny too because elodin just gave all of those examples of you know young relationships and the first thing he does is he gets this note from denna and then he skips class even though his whole life is on the line for his education he's like yeah, I guess I'll just do that class. I'm going to go hang out with a girl. And he searches all over town trying to find her. It's 
So he finds Denna, and she's clearly quite distraught. And they have this very sweet exchange. But what I noticed is that she is crying. He looks like hell because he hasn't slept. So she says, you know, you look terrible. Is everything okay? Have you been getting enough sleep? And she immediately kind of goes into his problems. He goes into his problems. And that's kind of where the conversation goes. Like, he doesn't seem to make any attempt to get down to what was so upsetting to her. He tries to comfort her, but he doesn't He doesn't get into why she was upset. Right. And again, I just think we see that this relationship is not genuine. In my opinion, this is the most sympathetic that I felt toward her. I still don't like how she reacted to him. And I didn't see it the same way that you did. I saw them both sort of being upset and but he it's not like he unburdened himself or told her what was going on with him versus what we've seen in his other relationships with the people that he could depend on in his life who even Mola knows what's going on with him. Yeah. You know, but he doesn't trust her. He doesn't, you know, get any support from her. She's just still sort of this ideal for him, you know, and it's it's all this kind of surface level attraction still in this section. And I guess. The beginning of the next chapter as well is the closest the either either of them have come towards expressing any feelings towards each other. You know, they don't you know, they 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 just kind of heap a lot of kind words. You're this to me. You're that to me. And so they they do kind of advance the relationship to a degree. Right. And, you know, so so Denna goes and does this extravagant thing for Quoth. And she buys him this incredibly expensive loot case. So I have a I have a small confession to make. Okay. So I'm coming off of the end of the last thing where I had this massive rant against Denna, <laughs> right? And then all this happens, and it seems very nice and friendly on the surface of it. And then we walk into this music store, and she's like, I have something to show you. Close your eyes. Walk into this building. <laughs> and then the the gentleman who's behind the counter says, is this him? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> the end he's then gonna he wake died. he's gonna wake the up end. in a sack at the bottom of the river <laughs> like i just i was like here's where it goes i'm like here's how he's gonna end up leaving the university it's gonna be in a sack on the back of a wagon like <laughs> i mean i was certain that this was a setup you know and i guess that just shows how little i trust denna right and it turned out to be to be something instead that was super sweet it is sweet and we what's for me more so than the gift itself is how excited she is to give it to him yeah that obviously this is something that cost her dearly but that she was really excited to give it to him she really did something very asinine and idiotic you know in pursuit of being able to give this to him by stealing his loot but again, Quoth understands that she didn't understand what that would mean to him. What I didn't like was how she sort of like, so she made a mistake, right? And she apologized. And But when she sees him getting emotional, she like sort of takes him hostage by like over apologizing and breaking down into tears herself. So he's like, oh, no, it's fine. She's like, no, I'm the stupidest and I'm the worst and I always do that. And then he ends up like taking responsibility for her feelings and he's not allowed to like have any feelings of his own, it feels like. All right. So, Grace, 
<laughs> Both barrels. Lay it on us. What do you? What are your thoughts on Denna? I mean, Denna's the worst. A like. <laughs> She's like the worst person. I just like, and I could never really understand why I hated her so much. I just like, I really do. It's like very little things that she does, like subtle things where I just feel like she acts like she knows she's hot and she can get away with kind of anything she wants to. Um, so just like this whole series, I've kind of just been like, ugh, Dana, just like go away. She's just like playing him. I always just get the feel like she's just playing him. And just cause that's kind of what she does. She kind of just plays people to live the lifestyle that she is living. And well, this chapter, I thought it was interesting when she was kind of letting loose a little bit and she was just crying her eyes out when he first goes up to her. And Mm. she says that when she's with him, she forgets who she is. Yeah. And she can take a vacation from herself. And they don't really talk about what that means or anything, but kind of just like, who is she? You know, what does that mean? Who says that? And then when she gave him the loot case, she had him put a secret pocket in it. Yeah. And I thought I was like, who does that? Like, who would even think to do that? Like, keep secret things in there. Only a grifter. I guess. I mean, does she know that he's kind of sketchy or is it because she's kind of sketchy or? I don't know. Sketch, sketch, no sketch, I guess, I you guess. know, like, like trouble meet trouble, I guess. Yeah. These two are. She, when she freaked out, just making the whole thing about her. She did it make it about her. Yeah. Another classic Denna character trait is that something goes wrong and she turns it around and makes it all about her. Yeah. I feel like quote has done the same thing though. This was definitely a perplexing Denna moment for me, you know, in part because as we've been talking about Denna, you know, I started off obviously not having read the whole series, you know, started off trying to be sort of even handed and objective about it and saying, well, look, we don't have her perspective. If we were seeing Quoth only by his actions and words, we'd probably think he's a prick too. And then over time I've been slowly, you know, falling more and more into the Denna is a spy, Denna is super sketch. I've been falling more and more into that camp, and it kind of culminated in the last episode when I just really ranted about, you know, she's orchestrating, like I turned her into the puppet master, you know? She's pulling all the strings back behind the scenes, and then... It was brilliant. Thank you, I appreciate that. It was flawed. But, (laughs) But then I see this thing, and I feel like... At least the part of her that is into Quoth is genuine. Like, she is completely flawed in the way she goes about it. She can't get away from her own ego, just like he can't get away from his own ego. She, you know, nothing's really pure, but it, but at least that she does have some sort of genuine concern for him. And I agree. I I definitely can see that. And I think, Grace, you made an interesting point about Denna saying that she forgets who she is around Quoth. And this theme of identity has been really consistent throughout the book. And I think maybe that's what a lot of people have a problem with Denna because, A, you know, we don't even know her real name. She changes her name constantly. I don't think, I think it's that she doesn't have a fixed identity, you know, and there's such solid character development in every other character. But with this character, we don't really know who she is. We know who Quoth thinks she is. And a lot of what I don't like about Denna is that I don't like the way Quoth reacts to her. And that he just kind of becomes a blithering idiot when it comes to her. It makes m- most of his poor decisions, you know, 
in order to impress her. Yeah. Still the worst. Still the worst. Um, I think that so much of what she does is subtle too. Um, and it's, she definitely does have some kind of feelings for him, but, and, and I think that too, it's kind of the both for both of them, the first time that they've felt that way about someone else. So <laughs> it's kind of, you're other seeing than that themselves. other than themselves, but then you kind of see that in quote, if you go through the chapter and his real first love is his loot. You know, when he talks about losing his loot, he says, I could do anything up until now, but now that I don't have my loot, like everything is the worst. And then he gets it back and he says, but he says the loot on my shoulder was as light as a kiss and he's always talking about it as a woman and then Dennis says oh god if anyone ever looked at me the way you look at that friggin' loot I should have known <laughs> you know and it's like hey ugh, Dana get over yourself tons of people obviously everyone looks at you like that because that's the only thing that anyone can ever say but I think also for her it's kind of a conquest because she doesn't know if Quoth ever looks at her like that so that's another part of her appeal to him is that he's never outright just like you know falling over himself yeah, that that's interesting because we've never really explored that avenue, and as you, as I'm sure we all know, you know, teenage love, you know, how much how much of it is about the one that got away or the one you you can't get you can't put your finger on exactly how they feel, you know, and and so how much of these two knuckleheads infatuation with each other is is just wrapped up in that, you know, that alone. Um, I, I agree with you. I I do think she has genuine feelings for him. I still think she's a fucking spy. Like, you know, I don't think that that hasn't part of my opinion hasn't changed. I still think she's some sort of spy. I agree. She's spying for someone. Somebody. Probably Master Ash. Mm-hmm. Now, one other thing, and this is the last thing I have on this, is right before Quoth rounds the corner in Emre and finds her. Once again, we have like this wind reference pop up, Ooh, like right before they walk in, you know, and the wind was blowing dust into his face and then boom, he walks around the corner and there she is. So again, every time, you know, the moon is mentioned, every time the wind is mentioned, we try to kind of highlight those things. The wind is always, you know, is always shining a spotlight on something. That was a very good catch. Well done, Mr. Duke. I read words. <laughs> All right. Chapter 31. The so, Crucible. The Crucible. So chapter 31. In this one, Sim is work, Sims is working on a way to fireproof Quoth. And he shows Quoth that he doesn't really always know what the hell he's talking about. I loved this chapter. Yeah, this is a short chapter, but a good one. There was some definitely Simony goodness in this one. Yeah, I had a hard time with this chapter, like the first two times that I read it, because I just didn't understand. Because he just come in, and he's like, I have something for you. And he's like, you rub it all over your body. And then the chapter ended. Like, what is it? <laughs> What's it for? I don't what get do it. What do you need? Yeah. I had to reread it like three times, both times I read this book. And then like, you know, eventually you see what it's for, obviously. But they just, they gave you no background into it, again, whatsoever, except just to show what a badass Sim is. Yeah, they they really... You know, they kind of dump you into it. That's for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, he goes to see Sim and Sim is the alchemist as long, uh, you know, along with the Eldvintic poet. And I, I like that they just bring up the boots. He's like, I got new boots. Oh, are those hobnails? And they laugh. And you're like, why are they laughing? Uh, yeah. I but felt, then we find out later. I felt, I'm like, fun. what the hell is a hobnail boot? like? And so once again, we get to see Quoth struggling with not knowing everything. Well, and also not being able to shut up. Yes. You know, and 
and I know somebody like that. He's pointing at himself, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, and we see Quill's over-reliance on perception. So he feels like, and I think it's in a, a previous, oh no, it's in this chapter that Simmons says, you can't think of alchemy as uh, chemistry with some extra bits. It's completely different. You know, we're dealing with unbound principles here. So you have to throw everything you know out the window. And we know that both can't do that. Yeah. Physically impossible. I think I would argue a a little bit of semantics around your point around perception. Got you. Lay them on me. So I feel like, I feel like it's more that he's blinded rather than that, that he's relying on his perception. I would say that he's relying on his ac- his memory, his academic ability to store and recall massive amounts of information. He's learned, you know, he learned chemistry, you know, to to a, an incredible degree at the age of 11, you know. And so I feel like it's he's relying on all of that sort of intellectual power and he's not seeing what's actually happening right in front of his face. You know, and I would I would say that's you know, that happens in a in a couple of different places. You know, the in the situation with Devi, I think it's a little bit different because there he does perceive things, but he perceives things wrong. You know, and, and I would I'm not hundred percent on this, but I just feel like the issue I see with him is that he he perceives things incorrectly. But he what he was relying on is just his academic brilliance, which fails him very often. Well, and I think maybe what I want to say, and I'm not wording it properly, is that Quoth struggles in these couple of chapters with overconfidence in his, not only just his perception, but his his being able to see things, his being able to understand things. Well, I would definitely agree that he's overly confident. So he goes in, he, he... he starts a battle with Debbie. He sees her reaching into a drawer. He thinks he knows what that means. Yeah. He right away jumps to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And it's dead wrong and gets him in a lot of trouble. Um, he goes into the crucible. And right away, he's like trying to mansplain to Sim. Oh, it's a heat shield. Oh, no, it's not a heat shield. So, it, again, we're just seeing him forced to face the same defect over and over. That I'm not explaining very well. No, no, no. I, I think you're explaining there. it fine. Yeah, it's there. No, I think you're. I think you're explaining it fine. And it's another example. And I'm sure Grace, you've heard this. How many people or or you've read reviews and said, "Quoth is a Mary Sue type character." Yeah. Mm-hmm. But how can you how can you read this and read what an idiot he is, and think he's a Mary Sue? You know, and I actually got into a a glorious um like a comment that was left on our website um explaining one of our listeners who who does feel like both as a mary sue Mm -hmm. and um he the way he explained it was he feels that um both is his own deus ex machina Mm -hmm. um so like every problem that he has he just somehow magically sort of has the knowledge to do it and um i can sort of understand that but at the same time i feel that it's balanced by the fact that Kvothe is also his own worst enemy. So he's also his own stumbling block. Yeah, I think his point was that, you know, he's not he's not often in real danger, 
because he's able to, you know, because, oh, he knows this, he knows that, he's conveniently got something in his pocket and he can make it into a flash bomb. Like, you know, and he, he kind of escapes all these situations and that anytime he's presented with something like a strange horse, he just sort of magically knows everything about horses, you know, like. It's internally consistent that he would have this wide base of knowledge because it's not like he randomly knows things that wouldn't make sense in the story because you know he's a, a genius as you said remembers everything that he hears and he's traveled widely and met a wide variety of people i mean i could say there's a little bit of that and when they're talking about you know the the woodcraft that he randomly picked up and then kind of magically remembers after his parents die but uh, like i said i still feel like it's internally consistent and at the same time, that wide base of knowledge is also like part of his biggest downfall, which I think makes it. So now we get to talk about the plan. Yes, yeah, right? so chapter 32, and I, I just sort of deem this as the dress rehearsal chapter. And this is when Quoth and uh, his team sort of meet out in the woods. Uh, Quoth has completed the gram, and they go through a testing of it where Mola... Uh, who apparently demonstrates that she's quite a badass. Uh, and then Sims lets slip information about Debbie and that Debbie and Quoth had a falling out in front of the whole group. Mm. So what did you have on this chapter, Grace? Anything jump out at you? Um, yeah, Mola, definitely for the win, you know. And Quoth, kind of like a, another dick move by him is that everyone's kind of you know never want no one wants to test out the the little thing no one wants to do it no one wants to do it and then finally who was it sim that was like fine i'll do it and he just fakes him out so hard yeah, yeah. that then you know like these are his friends but whatever that's just 15 year old um but another thing that i picked up was that uh he wore his gram on his arm which was they were all kind of like oh like what a weird way to to wear that you know i guess most people wear them as necklaces and he just strapped it right to his arm mm-hmm. um but yeah, Mola, I like her a lot. Yeah, she yeah. was a real badass. And I loved how, so after she, you know, jams it into into the leg and then pokes it a couple of different places, she just idly tosses the moment right into the fire. Like doesn't even look like mic drop kind of moment, you know? So one thing that <clears throat> I was thinking a lot about while reading this chapter, and we've talked about it a little bit before, the balance in the friendship between Will and Sim and Quoth. And you had expressed that you kind of felt like it seems a little uneven. Like Will and Sim are always kind of really putting themselves out there. And what are they getting out of it? So this chapter really made me kind of think about that. Like how on the outset, and we talked about how on the outset, um, Will and Sim do seem to do more for Quoth. But at the same time, they're rarely in mortal peril which Kvothe always seems to be. Mm -hmm. So we can assume that Kvothe would put himself out there for them if someone was trying to kill them. I mean, we would assume that. But also I think you get to see a little bit what Kvothe does for them and that this experience where they've all kind of bonded together and had this like adventure, you think like, yeah, I'm sure they're not having fun staying awake and watching over him all night, but at the same time, they wouldn't be having these experiences and, and growing in that way. For me, I see a more balanced friendship, and I, I, I just notice that more. So can we all agree that this is the most Harry Potter moment of the entire series so far? I would call it more Buffy, like mm. a very Buffy moment with a it's like very obvious Scooby gang. Yes, 
yeah, they're all kind of just like banding behind him. They all have their roles and he's just like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to go in there and do my thing. And you guys got my back, right? You know? Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting. That's not the first time we've compared this to Buffy. We've, we've had some other Buffy comparisons too. That is funny that you said that because when like, when both and will finally go off and they're like walking, you know, they're like, okay, see you later. I was like, yeah yeah so so we're gonna have to get a hold of the buffy theme music (laughs) or i could just keep singing it no you could you go right ahead (laughs) does anybody remember the band that the nerf nerf herder Herder. is it nerf herder yep man that see that's nerd cred that's nerd cred listeners right there that's your nerd cred right there have any nerd cred i'm not a nerd <laughs> you've been on a podcast You're... you have been on a podcast <laughs> I, you know i just had one thing where i love at the end of the chapter where um simmons kind of spills it about debbie and um they're like fella and is trying to offer sympathy and i'm sure it'll be okay. and he just has no self-pity here He's yeah. just like, he's not even bitter towards Debbie. He's just like, that's that's the way the world works. She'll probably sell my blood. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll deal with that later. For now, let's not be negative. You know, let's just go home and, and get some rest. And um, I, I just kind of like that. I like like that part of his character. I thought he was kind of being a jerk. Really? More in the tone. I may have, in my head, he may have had a nicer tone. Yeah, it's hard hard to say. Because he kind of says, like, I didn't want it to be negative, so I just yeah, didn't want to focus on that. Yeah, and I, and I read that, but it, and I, maybe I didn't perceive it correctly. I don't know. But, yeah, it, it just sort of struck me as him being – and he's done it a couple times. It's sort of like when, uh, when they were all talking about – I forget what it was, but when – oh, when they were talking about the, the way his eyes change color, and he's like – Either get me a mirror or or shut up. I don't care which, you know. Like sometimes he's just comes across a little rough around the edges. It wasn't a serious thing, but that's just kind of how I took it. Hmm. Something on a different note. Something else I noticed um, was when they were testing out the gram, and I think it was Will that touched it, and they said that it had the same effect as the Arcanium Gilder, and they were like, "Oh, I guess that makes sense. You can't practice malfeasance against someone that has." one of the Arcanium Gilders. So mm. it kind of that's a little bit of foreshadowing. You know this whole time that both got kicked out of the Academy, got kicked out of the Academy, but now he has this sort of protection against him. So you, you wonder kind of how far that Gilder goes in. You know, is it the same thing as having, um, whatever it's called, it just went out of my brain. The gram. A gram, is it the same thing as having a gram? Is that one of the reasons maybe, you know, how far does the comparison go? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, one thing about the Gilder is that it, you know, it only works for that particular person. You know, this may be the same way because it, you know, they talk about binding blood and or uh, sigils for blood and bone. So, so yeah, it may work exactly the same way. Yeah. All right. So chapter thirty-three, which is our last chapter, and this is where kind of the plan gets put into action. This is where they they go. They meet in the woods. Debbie shows up um, because Mola brings her, and then they put she 
you know, she, again, they don't really make friends, but she says, if we survive this, then we'll talk afterwards. And uh, they end up setting fire to all of Ambrose's things in order to destroy the Mommet. Uh, they all come back and have a great uh, giant laugh. You know, it, it's like the end of one of those old, like, 70s shows when it's like, you know, the end, everyone's going, ha, 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 and then the credits roll. That's kind of how this ended to me. Yeah, I kind of pictured, like, them all jumping up into the air and, like, high-fiving yeah, exactly. perfectly in unison. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how I pictured it, too. Funny. Funny how that goes. So, but in the beginning, did we talk about he gets a note from Denna? No, I just kind of put the summary out there. But, right. But that... You know, th- that struck me. I, you know, I don't think there's been a point in this series where something important wasn't about to happen and Denna didn't either have it or he was on his way to meet Denna and, you know, something caught on fire or, you know, there's always something like that. So I'm like, well, of course he gets a note from Denna. But see, I found it encouraging that they were actually communicating like normal people not acting like jackasses like she actually sent him a note yeah like rather than just going to the place he lived like 10 times and hoping he was there one time you know so they've progressed to the point of being able to communicate in writing and make plans so right and so but he does not ditch his friends thankfully for that he goes and they're gathering together at a bonfire and um, Fella arrives and she's dressed to the nines and, um, you know, we see Simmons just put it, you know, Simmons, my perception of him is that he just puts it out there to, he is, he's not shy about flirting. He, he, he puts it out there. Um, well, that's never been Sim's problem. Right. He, he, he's pretty, I, 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 and I think it's, it usually backfires on him, mm-hmm. but he's, you know, he's been very overt about, you know, his, his desires uh, I think the problem for Sims is that it's been about every female in the Arcanum. Right. <laughs> and and I just love the interaction that then happens. Well, first of all, we see the fella notices his new boots right away. So, like, she's got her eye on him now. Mm-hmm. And I just love watching that relationship kind of start to grow up. But then Debbie arrives, and the three women ha- start to, like, just just go into the plan of how they're going to play, how she can best play Ambrose. And uh, Willem is like, this is terrifying, you know, because they're, they're just like, and this is how, you, so start with your dress up here and then start using your shoulders so you'll your boobs will come out a little bit more. And like, yeah. And also it kind of comes out too that Debbie had a past with Ambrose. And at first yeah. she says, oh, you know, he beats his whores. And then she kind of starts talking a little more and she's like, oh, if you get bored, just start talking about his poetry and like rolls her eyes and you're like, oh, wow, like they had like a past past. So it's more personal. So you kind of wonder about that. But I think that Quoth does a few things that help him here. And again, it's I, I think there are things that he kind of does sincerely and instinctually. So first of all, he sincerely apologizes. Yeah. He doesn't try to make excuses. He just says, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And she's like, oh, you know, and then he gives her some sympathy props in that, mm-hmm. you know, so Debbie is coming along to take over whatever Mola was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Quoth is like, okay, I leave this in your hands. And Mola's like, what? <laughs> like, you quizzed me, you know, and we know already know that Mola is pretty badass sympathist herself. Mm-hmm. And Quoth says, you know, I, I, she's the only person here that I suspect is a stronger sympathist than me. 
And then Debbie says one of my favorite lines as well. She says, what are you talking about? You're my little sympathy hand puppet. I spanked you, you know? Um, But whatever, they go off and there's, and it's all like, (laughs) come on. She, oh, come on. That's where you draw the line. <laughs> that is where she draws the line. Can be used. That can be used against me too easily. <laughs> okay, so oh, you have I have so much less shame than you. <laughs> so they go to is it the Golden Pony? The Golden Pony. Which come on. That's the gayest name for an inn I've ever heard. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with no, that. No, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Before that happens, something, the one thing that I did pick up, this read around, reread, um, before they go, Sim hands both this ointment and um, he hands them the, the jar of the ointment in case he gets burned. So it was something different that from what he originally made. He said, in case it happens. Hmm. And then he says, if you mix it with piss, it's going to turn to sweet, sweet candy. <laughs> So we get into the actual caper, and it's it's pretty brilliant and very satisfying, in my opinion, uh, way of getting back at Ambrose. And so, well, it was a way of it was a way of destroying the moment. Right. I mean, that was the number one thing. There's some pretty good revenge that happens as well. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So we find out that what Devi is actually doing is using sympathy to light the moment from afar so that they will know where it is. And they've got a, a, a team in place, so as soon as there's a fire notice, because they don't want to burn down the inn, Kvothe is able to rush in there, throw the burning drawers out the window, where Simmons uses his, his hobnail boots to stomp on everything inside. And then it's just a very satisfying ending where Ambrose comes in and is like, what are you, What what is happening here? And he kind of realizes what was happening, but he can't say anything. Yeah, I, and, love, uh, yeah, I love the comment. He's like, what are you doing in my room? And, and Quoth is like, your room? <laughs> you mean I just burned myself saving your things? Like, And then as he's walking away, he turns around and is able to say, uh, you know, candles are dangerous things. Honestly, boy, you'd think a member of the Arcanum would have more sense, which is, as we know, what Ambrose said to him many, many chapters ago when he got him banned from the I archives. I did not pick up on that. Did not? No. Yes. I feel like a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I missed that. It makes more sense now. Right? It's, I mean, I, it's I just, great, though, right? It was, yeah. I just thought he was kind of throwing him under the bus. Right, and he is able to not only destroy the Momet, but kind of make an ass out of Ambrose because Ambrose comes in wrong-footed and just, I mean, just totally acts like a jackass, throws a racial slur out there, is yelling at the supposed rescuer, and and all the onlookers are like appalled by his behavior. And I guess we can confirm now that the word shim is a racist insult. Yes, that is definitely, yes, that is a racist. Because we weren't, because the first time we encountered it back in the first book, I was like, is that what I think it is? Because it sounds to me yeah, like it's a racist, like it's a racial slur, and it, it definitely is. Yeah, it is. So, um. You knew that then too, didn't you? I did. did I don't, they didn't realize you did not know that. No, you, you were like, well, I don't, is it really? You were, you were playing. You were playing the I don't know card. Fell for your own tricks. 
I have webs within we- within webs over here. I can't keep <laughs> track of them all sometimes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You're trying not to spoil me. Uh, it's really hard. But moving on, moving on. The, so the gang gets their revenge on Ambrose. They are also uh, managed to drop a, a poem <laughs> in the hallway that speaks of Ambrose's affections for Master Hem Almost, and some women's, some women's some women's underwear, mm-hmm. as as well as kicking over the chamber pot and making him look like an ass. Well, not and to mention destroying probably all of his clothes. A good bit of his clothes. You know. Yep, and. Uh, right at the end, almost on instinct, uh, Quoth snatches his purse, which fortunately happens to have the jeweler slip for Denna's ring. And six talents. And six talents. You know what they didn't destroy, though? What? They didn't destroy that stupid purple hat. Yes. Well, you know, you can't have everything. Because I feel like if that got destroyed, Quoth would have remarked on it. Definitely. Definitely. So they all gather to like debrief and then Sim walks in with Fella. Obviously there's something going on there. Yeah, things are getting things are go- going well for mm-hmm. the Sims man. Yep. It's about it's about time that the uh the good guy actually gets something to go his way, right? Yep. And one other thing that I feel like was probably worth highlighting here, and it seems like sort of a throwaway while Sim is reciting the poetry. He says something awkward and he's embarrassed. So Willem is trying to save him and he says, what's that break in that pause you keep making in the line? And and Simmons says, well, it's a break in the line called a Kesura. Kesura. Yeah. I'm probably saying it wrong. But I just think that, that that's significant. I feel like we've heard that word before. Hmm. Okay. Somewhere. I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember but that. But I think that should just put a pin in that in your brain. Grace, did you have anything else in this chapter that jumped out? Um, just that uh, one of them, I think Mola or Fila mentions kind of casually that there's only about a hundred women in the whole of the university, which I guess is pretty typical of that time. But um, I think that it just made Fila all the more surprised that Kvoth was just super not interested because she's like real hot yeah. and kind of throwing herself at him and, you know, just like, okay, you know, so that just, it kind of makes it more telling when Debbie gets kicked out because she is one of the 100 women, so you know that something really bad must have happened. Yeah, the other thing that was interesting about that, I remember picking up on that as well, is, you know, Will was saying, do all, do you you all know each other? And I think, I think it was Mola who said, there's only 100 of us, and they make us all sleep in, I think it's the mains, whether we want to or not. So yeah, we, we all know each other, you know? And it just goes to show that that women at the university are treated differently. You know, they don't have the same. Now, they're also not getting whipped, but they also don't have the same rights to go, you know, live where they want to live. Or they don't have a lot of flexibility that uh, that the men in the Arcanum have. So, yeah, it, it, I highlighted that, too. And I was like, OK, they are clearly treated very differently. Well, and for me, it gave me, it gives you a kind of a picture of the world as well. And I remember one discussion we had is, well, like, so Denna is so smart. Why isn't she at the university? Why is she using her considerable gift, intellectual gifts to like join the university? And instead, she's just going around being a shady grifter. And um, this just gives you a picture of the opportunities available for women. 
and that there aren't as many and that it is so rare for a woman to come and have the resources and training to be able to get into the university that mm-hmm. there are they're just a tiny fraction of the students there are women. Yeah, you know, it seems to me too that and I don't know if we've confirmed this or talked about this, but it seems to me like this is the only uni- this is the university. Like there right. are no other universities like this. Yeah. in all the different, you know, kingdoms in this area. So there's only a hundred women. There's only nine hundred men, approximately, or or a thousand men, approximately, because it's like a ten to one ratio. They said, so there's like eleven hundred students, you know, give or take, at this university for all the surrounding kingdoms. You know, so this is a just kind of shows how rare this is. Yes, and it, I think when you look back um, to Phil's childhood and meeting Ben the reaction that people had to an arcanist not even knowing what one really was and have probably never seen a real arcanist before. It just shows you how kind of rare they are in the world. Yeah. The other thing I picked up on this in this section too was, or it just kind of crossed my mind in this section was there seems to be a lot of people who don't make it through the art, you know, through all the arcanum and graduate who end up being, you know, these real kind of iconic badass characters like Sleet and Devi. And I think that puppets guy is somebody who's not around anymore too. I, I, I could be wrong about that, but, but it's just interesting that, you know, a lot of the people who end up washing out end up being people who could have potentially been some of the more powerful ones. You know, Devi said was, you know, was stronger in sympathy than Elksa Dahl you know, in her second year. And that's a big part of why they had to kick her out. You know, and it's interesting to me that the ones who kind of don't make it through the whole curriculum are the ones who often end up being the strongest, you know, because we know that's what's going to happen with Quoth, too. Ms. Grace, you have anything else you want to add? I think that's it. All right. Excellent. Well done, team. So I have have a couple predictions. Really just kind of one prediction but i feel like a couple things might stem off of it there was one i said in the in the actual episode that i now can't recall so that stinks i'll have to listen back to it and write it down but one of the things we talked about was you know denna and her gold digging ways right and whether or not we we thought she was a a spy so i'm i'm convinced that she 100 is a spy and i'm beginning to suspect that her shacking up with every rich dude, you know, young Lord is not, is a part of her job as a spy. Not Mm. that she's doing it just because she's trying to find somebody who can pay her way and, and put her up in nice rooms and all of that, or to to try to marry some Lord. But I'm beginning to, to wonder if that's not, what she has been brought here specifically to do is to cozy up to the powerful and the rich and learn as much about them as she can and then move on and find somebody else. The gleaming light of your tinfoil hat is amazing. It's blinding me. Yeah. I love it when you get deep in, your, in the theories. That's awesome. I, I am like so perplexed by Dana right now. Because I just, every time I 
every time I feel like I'm going down one road, I get some piece of evidence that yanks me back, you know, and now I got, I, I think that's the way you're supposed to yeah. feel. And I got, I got whiplash. I got that Dena whiplash. That Dena whiplash. <laughs> Any other predictions you want to lay on us? No, no. All right. I, 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 uh, over predicted last time. So, <laughs> so now I'm feeling gun shy. <laughs> All right. So no, um, I do have a few, uh, listener, in, listener interactions that I want to talk about. Ooh. So we had it, we had a few people, uh, that we've interacted with and I want to call that out. And, uh, number one is I want to highlight Mr. Justin Berger, one of, uh, one of our friends on Facebook and, and Twitter actually. And we had a review from somebody by the name, and this is the best internet handle I've ever heard. So we got an iTunes review from somebody named Dr. Duncan Stein Swagger. Nice. I love it. And Dr. Duncan Stein Swagger is Justin Berger. Hi, Justin. So that that's uh, that's his handle there. So, so thanks for that. Um, we were talking with uh, Theo, who is the OGB on Twitter, and he's the guy who was on the website. And we were kind of going back and forth with, is Quoth a, a Mary Sue? Is he not a Mary Sue? And he actually pointed out that there is uh, an error on our, on our website where when you make a comment, it gives you an error message and says the error, the comment couldn't be submitted. However, the comments do come through. They are coming through. We, we got to, I haven't, it's an issue with our hosting company and I need to sit on customer support with them for 45 minutes to get them to figure out what it is. Uh, and yeah, um, and that's the one thing I've been kind of disappointed with uh, so far in this whole process is their customer service, which is why I'm not calling them out by name. But um, but I just haven't had the time to want to sit down and do and deal with that. So uh, and but until then, if you make a comment and you get that error message, don't worry, it's coming through. We're still seeing them. Um, and then we had a back and forth... Uh, on Twitter with a handful of people, Kayla King, who is at uh, KJ King Edits, and Lauren, who is at Two Next Chapter, so that's T-O-N-E-X-T Chapter, and also Matt, who is at uh, Crimson Seraph, which is spelled uh, C-R-I-M-S-Y-N-S-E-R-A-F, and that's where we're going back and forth about owning all the different editions of the books and how... um, now, one of them, I think it was, um, it was definitely Kayla King who said that she's known about, she started reading Name of the Wind five years ago and she somehow has managed to acquire five copies of the book in those five years. And on the 10th anniversary, I, I covet it. I'm coveting it. The, that edition, it looks gorgeous. It's got some great cover art. Yeah. So we had the, uh, that interaction as well. And then, uh, just today, Although, you know, it'll probably take eight to ten weeks before Graham realizes this. But just today, we uh, we had a, a new person that we talked to on Twitter by the name of uh, Graham Schinbeckler, who is at Graham underscore writes. And we just started um, talking back and forth with him about the podcast and how he had just found the podcast. And he was, said he was very excited, but he was in the process of getting on a plane. And I said, well, don't worry. We'll be here when you get when you get on the ground. And um so we had a nice little exchange of comments with that person and he's just starting the podcast. So he's not going to realize for many, 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 many weeks that we called him out. Calling him out. Calling you out. Like we do. Calling you out, bro. That's all that I have. That's it. So where can they find us? They just 
look deep in their hearts and that's where we'll be (laughs) in the place between asleep and awake that's where I'll always find you Peter Pan that is not practical that was that was good come on but it doesn't help (laughs) (laughs) I've been thinking about that joke all day (laughs) Uh, did you google that specifically I did not (laughs) no you're lying it came from my own brain. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. okay. <laughs> Grace does not does not believe you. She doesn't Little believe. Little sister. <laughs> All right. So we can be found on Twitter at the DND Podcast. We can be found uh, on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess, and we can always be found on our website, which is the Duke and Duchess Podcast. Dot com And I've actually been surprised at how many people we've had hitting us up on the website. So we're trying to get better about putting uh, some more diverse content up there other than just having the podcast episodes. So what if somebody wants to support our podcast, if they enjoyed this and they think we're cute and charming and they want to help us, what can they do? You got to pimp us out, yo. That's right. Share, uh, share, share the um you can share our uh, podcast. I think we have a link right on the website. Is that right? Well, we do. We also have at the bottom of each individual post the little buttons where you can link to Twitter, you can link to Facebook, you can link, I think, to Pinterest, a couple of other other ones that I thought were important. Right. So anyone in the community um, who wants to share our podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, I, I, I love the support we're getting from other podcasts and interactions with them. And um, there are some really great podcasts out there who are um, we're kind of listening to and they're listening to us. And it's it's been neat joining this little community. So, yeah, if they want to support us, um, share us on social media, tell their friends, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And we still covet the iTunes reviews. We love the iTunes reviews. Those help as well. But nothing. Nothing helps as well as word of mouth. That's that's ultimately what's the most important thing for but us. But I get a kick out of the iTunes reviews because I think they're great. They are great. They are great. So actually, Grace, I have a I have a question for you. So have you read Wheel of Time? No, I have not. You haven't read Wheel of Time? Mm-hmm. Okay. I wasn't I wasn't sure about mm-hmm. that. But you read Lord of the Rings, right? I read Lord of the Rings a long time ago. Gotcha. Yes, I okay. did. Right. Yes. I'm trying to I'm trying to dip more into what what we can bring you back for. Are you watching Game of Thrones? I just finished season three. Okay. So, I mean, I'm Ooh. getting there. That's um, a rough one. Yeah. The end of season three is particularly rough. Twas, but I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I knew everything that happened, you know, oh, at okay. this point, like I know who everyone who dies. You were, you were but, spoiled for um, it already. Okay. I mean, I feel like I've read a lot of like the classical book series, mm-hmm. like everything that you've read, pretty much all of the young adult there's a, a lot of book series about libraries now, which apparently really? is a thing. Yeah. So. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, have you read The Library at Mount Char? Yes. You recommended it to me and it horrified me. It was horrifying, wasn't it? But good, right? Okay. I was not warned. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> they ate each other's bodies, like habitually, and that was not disclosed. So. Spoilers. So in the future, cannibalism needs a spoiler. I need to spoil any future cannibalism. Yeah. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. Sorry, guys. Spoiler for the life. It was like page one. Like they jumped right into the cannibalism. Okay, so, so you know, like they so, just like you know, if on page one they're like eating each other like out of their bodies, then it's gonna be yeah. It was pretty gruesome. Yeah. Where do you go from there? Oh. Like, oh. if that's where do you, you want start. Me to tell you? No, I'll tell no, you. no, no, no. Don't tell me. Don't. <laughs> it's horrifying. So, so what are you reading right now? Other than rereading Wise Man's Fear, because I, I we ask Liz that every once in a while. What are you reading now, just to get some different exposure? But um, I just read a book called The Magician's Lie, which was kind of interesting, and it was about you know magicians in like the 1920s, and mm. um, you know she's in an interrogation room for a murder, and did she do it, or was it a trick, or was she set up, or mm, okay. you know the whole thing. So that was pretty interesting. Was that? Um, would you say that's a fantasy? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely a fantasy. And the third book of one of the library series is coming out next week. So the, you're still um, reading it. I am still reading it. Um, it's pretty good. I think it's actually my favorite of the young adult <laughs> library series of <laughs> the many that I've read. So there's a very there is a multitude library theme. Um, thing, yeah, huh? that's interesting. I wonder. I wonder where that. Okay. Hmm. Um, Lexicon too. I reread that one all the time. That one's really good. That is a really good book. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Max Berry, Lexicon. Gotcha. And the series you were just talking about, um, about the magicians, do you know who who wrote that? That wasn't a series. That was just a standalone oh. book so. called The Magician's Lie. Uh, do, you, do you know who the author is off the top you. of your head? So. It's in my books. You know, I've been thinking recently I want to reread. What's that Neil Gaiman one that you and I liked? Not... Um, there's Not American lot. Gods. There's but. a lot that I liked. Um, my favorite Neil Gaiman book of all time is called Neverwhere. That's the one that... You like that one yeah, too? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that. I can't even explain why I love it so much, but I, it's one book. There are a few books that I read every single year, and that is one of them. Yeah, yeah. I just really love it. I think it's just sweet and earnest, and yeah, I love it. So The Magician's Lie, who is the author? Uh, Greer McAllister. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah. But Parasol Protector is another one that I just read all the time. Yeah, I've I've been interested in. That's been on my eventually mm-hmm. get to list. Yeah, that's one of like Julia and my favorite. Gotcha. Other sister. It's very steampunky, right? Very steampunky. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yes, and um, I recently read um, Jim Butcher, the author of the Dresden Files, wrote a steampunk novel. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good. I'm thinking about doing a review for the website on it. It's called The Aeronauts Windless, which might be the most steampunky title I've ever heard in my life. It is very steampunky. It has um, talking cats <laughs> who like wear battle armor. So wow. Grace's eyes just got so big. Very big. <laughs> Grace is not going to listen to my book recommendations anymore. <laughs> it works. I think it works. I think it works. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Any anything else? Because we could just we'll probably keep talking about books, but we can. End well, the I figured we could let we that. To. We could let. Oh, yeah. we we we're, we're done talking about anything official. <laughs> okay. Do I still need to use the microphone or? Yeah, we're we need to say goodbye. Okay. All right. Gotcha. So you know how we do that? How we say goodbye. Good night. Peace out, everybody. All right, we love you. Thanks and good night. Bye-bye. Good night.